In the name of the one who was sent to us from above. Amen. I like Nicodemus. Mainly because I can relate. He was a Pharisee, which means he likely really liked the trappings of religion, the structure and the format. He followed the rules, mostly. He had a reputation to protect. He came to Jesus under the cover of night, so no one would see him. And it took him a bit to move from intellectual truth to spiritual truth. He may as well have been an Episcopalian. Nicodemus's slow-cooked discipleship feels familiar to me. Something compelled him to seek Jesus out, but give up status and comfort to follow a nomadic preacher? What would the authorities say? How would his family and friends handle this? What would he have to give up? Still, he was compelled to seek Jesus out in secret, to call him rabbi and to ask him his questions. He was persistent enough to keep trying, even when Jesus didn't seem to be making sense at first. He even stayed in the conversation when Jesus insulted him. Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand? Ouch. But this teacher of Israel wanted to understand. And maybe that's what I appreciate most about him. He was humble enough to be real about his lack of understanding and to yearn for a deeper knowing. And thus he entered into dialogue with Jesus. I recently noticed a Thich Nhat Hanh quote pinned up someplace that said, if you don't want to be changed, don't go into dialogue. Dialogue is different from debate or proclamation or monologue. Dialogue depends on and deepens relationship. Dialogue is relationship, right? And to be in relationship with another means to be open to being changed. Nicodemus opened himself up to change when he engaged Jesus in dialogue, in relationship. This was the courageous beginning of his journey into discipleship. And from that moment, through Jesus' trial and crucifixion, he would remain close by as a secret disciple, in relationship with Christ, drawn to the kingdom of God, but until after Jesus' death, which we'll get back to in a couple minutes, Nicodemus was unable to risk going all in and thus losing his place in society. Isn't that where most of us reside much of the time? With Christ, but still very attached to the material and social assets in our lives that perhaps cause us to keep Jesus at arm's length. 
Perhaps we justify not offering our first fruits back to God because the world has convinced us that all we have is ours and that we as individuals have earned it and deserve to have complete control over it. To be generous only with our leftovers. We don't give a dollar to the homeless guy in the intersection because we don't know what he'll do with it. As if that's any of our business. Even if we give generously to our church and to those who, need, who are in need, who, who cross our paths every day, and even if we give to organizations that are doing good work in the world, we aren't always cognizant of the joy of offering our life back to God. The gratitude indicated in our gifts or the relational aspect of giving as an expression of love, as an acknowledgement that we need God, and as a corrective to the myth of self-reliance. I know this sounds like a rant. Please know it's not directed at you, but at us. Perhaps I should just speak of myself and for myself, but I know I'm not alone. We have to figure out, along with Nicodemus, how to come to Jesus in the daylight. How to take more risks. How to give more fully. How to empty ourselves of everything that diminishes the work of God in this world. In other words, we need to learn how to move more fully into relationship with Christ. The rest... I do believe will follow. Deeper relationship did eventually happen between Nicodemus and Christ. Perhaps in a myriad of ways, but two moments of importance were actually written down. First, when the chief priests sent the temple police to arrest Jesus sometime after Nicodemus had come to him in the night. And the temple police came back without Jesus because his teaching had inspired them. The Pharisees scoffed at the police, wondering if they, too, had been tricked by this Jesus. The Pharisees claimed that no one who knew scripture would be fooled by Jesus, as it was clear from the study of the Torah that a prophet was never supposed to come from Galilee. Nicodemus, who was present among the Pharisees, a leader among the Pharisees in this moment, did not publicly admit to following Jesus. But he did point out that the law demanded a fair hearing before judgment was made over this Jesus. A small but courageous bit of advocacy on Jesus' behalf. And then, sometime later, At the foot of the cross, after soldiers had pierced Jesus' side to make sure that he was dead, Nicodemus came into the daylight. He and Joseph of Arimathea, both secret disciples up until now, showed courage, generosity, and deep love. Joseph was brave enough to ask Pilate for Jesus' body. Nicodemus came with an abundant hundred pounds 
of myrrh and aloe with which to prepare Jesus' body for burial. It's entirely possible that the crowd was still gathered as these two secret disciples stepped forward and took Jesus' body down from the cross, prepared it with a generous bounty of burial herbs, wrapped him in linen, and laid him in a nearby new tomb. I was speaking with Sarah yesterday afternoon about the poignancy of this moment. And she wondered if Nicodemus' generosity was unleashed when he saw Jesus' generosity on the cross. I wonder what is waiting to be unleashed in us. In whatever way we are still approaching Jesus under the cover of night and guarding ourselves from too much change or too much sacrifice, let us be liberated from our hesitations. Because uninhibited relationship with Christ in the broad daylight just might change not only us, it just might change the world through us. Amen.